the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program is sponsored by Amplify Peace. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Amplify Peace. We are all about exploring how we can listen, learn, and live differently in this crazy world. Together, we want to discover the impact of empathy, the strength of unity, the power of love, and the beauty of humanity. I'm your host, Lisa Jernigan, and joining me today, so we just did a podcast with Mercy Aiken, we meeting me, um, and we uh, talking about a hard conversation, but something that was, it's very, it's beautiful at the same time, and I think a much needed conversation that when we got done with our first podcast, we're like, I don't think we're done. Let's let's continue this conversation. So right now we're going to continue a conversation that, that has been started. And so I encourage you to listen to part one um, on the podcast with, with Mercy Aiken, and we'll continue today. Uh, Mercy is the author of a recently uh, published book that is actually doing quite well right now. People want to hear the stories coming out of Palestine. Um, and it's called Yet in the Dark Streets Shining, a Palestinian story of hope and resilience in Bethlehem. So again, Mercy, welcome to Amplify Peace. Thank you. It's great to be back. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I, you know what, it's like, I'm just going to a little bit repeat. So people, if they're watch listening to this podcast before they've listened to the other one to know a little bit that you, um, give us just a, a brief overview again, how you came to be the author of yet in the dark streets shining. Okay. So, um, I had been living in Bethlehem, volunteering at Bethlehem Bible college. And the the man who founded the college, Bashara Awad, was just this most lovely, jovial, like just easy to be around person who just was, his presence was so very disarming and and he just exuded this kind of peace and, and grace and humor. And so you just couldn't help but fall in love with him. And as I got to know him, he he kept saying, I need to find somebody to help me write my story, right? And and so I began to hear some of the story from him and from other people in the family. And I was just gripped by the power of it, the beauty of it, um, the incredible faith of these Palestinian Christians who lived through everything uh, that you can think of. Bashar was born before 1948. He was a little boy living in Jerusalem in 1948, where his family had lived for generations as far back as could possibly be recorded, you know, part of the Christian quarter of the old city. Um, And during the war of 1948, um, they were sort of caught in this no man's land in this neighborhood, Muswara, where they were living outside of the old city. And they were running out of food in the house. It wasn't, you know, the war was going on. And Bashar's father went out one morning to look for food and he was shot and killed by a sniper. And so that's kind of the beginning of the story. And the family buried him in the backyard. And a few days later, they had to flee for their lives from their home 
into the old city and Bashara and his brothers and sisters grew up in orphanages. But their mother Huda was an incredibly strong woman of faith who kept the family together and instilled this incredible deep faith in her children. And they're one of the tightest families that I know, even though the children actually grew up in these different homes, they would come together and be with their mother as much as they could. Um, so it was just hearing, you know, hearing this, this story to kind of kick it off this, this sort of grace that the mother had when the children were very angry and grieved over the loss of their father and Huda, your mother said, we don't know who killed your father. We don't know where that bullet came from. And though they all were pretty sure it probably came from the Zionist Haganah forces came from that direction, but she refused to cast blame in a way that would make her children grow up feeling hate and a desire for vengeance. And she just said, you know, we're not going to hate anybody and we're not going to take vengeance because if you grow up wanting to take vengeance and you kill somebody, let's just say some other children are going to grow up without a father. And how is that going to heal anything? We have to forgive and we just have to move on and trust the Lord and live life as best as we can for his glory so that your father will be proud of you when you see him uh, in heaven. And that was what she instilled in the children. Um, It was such a different story, I think, than so many people think about when they think about Palestinians, because all they think about are uh, suicide bombers or the recent uh, horrific massacres that Hamas committed in southern Israel. And there's so much more diversity um, to the Palestinian story and their experience and what they've been through. And one thing I realized with Bashara is that his life, his entire life spans every aspect of this conflict. And so I thought it would be so fascinating to tell this story from the point of view of a Palestinian Christian who lived through 1948, who lived through the partitioning of Jerusalem, who lived through the Nakba, um, which the Palestinians call the catastrophe Um For Israelis, it's Israeli Independence Day, but for Palestinians, it's a day of mourning because 750,000 of them were evicted uh, from from their homes and land. Um, But Bashar lived through everything, the intifadas, he lived through the Six-Day War, you know, and through all of it, he held this incredible faith in the Lord. And he built a Bible college, you know, in the middle of all this. And he, he kept instilling um, teaching the gospel to the Christian community there and reaching out with love to the Muslim community and where he could to the Jewish community through all of, through all of it. And so I just thought it was a really good opportunity to introduce people to a Palestinian perspective and a Palestinian story from someone that I think a lot of American Christians could very much relate to, um, through the voice of Bashar Awad. Mm, beautiful. They really are an exceptional family. And I remember hearing the story of Bashar's mom saying, this is who we're going to be. Yes. And this is who we're not going to be. Right. I think that's profound. Yes. Right. So this horrific thing has happened to our family, but we are not going to retaliate. We're not going to hate. Right. And, um, and it changed the course of generations of that family. Yes. Um, Cause you've seen that ripple effects as you know, the family, I know the family, um, you know, Sammy, her grandson is now, you know, 
a nonviolent peace activist. And then, so you just see the generations, we can change generations. Yes. One act. And I love that it was a mom and a woman. Sometimes we feel like we don't have a place. Right. And, and a lot of times women in, in different communities, societies, you know, their voices are silenced, but yet look at the difference this one woman made by just saying that to her kids and showing them a different way to live. Yes. What we need to be doing today. How do we show people a different way to live a different way to respond to the hatred and the violence that is running rampant in the world today. Right. And so I want you to share a little bit about, um, you know, Bashara, you, you earned his trust. You guys became friends. You went, you know, in an earlier podcast, you talked about how you went there really knowing nothing, mm-hmm. started seeing things and like, what a minute, wait a minute, this doesn't really fit in a yeah. box I had. Right. Um, I've got to learn. That was my story. I've got to learn about this, right? I got to see, I got to learn about these people, about this land, about what's going on. And so it took you down, it just uh, opened up a whole new journey from you that, for you that you never anticipated. Yes. And that's so God, right? He's yes, like, yes. take this step here and I'm going to show you something. And so you you earn Bashara's, you know, trust and your credibility and he wants you to write his story. But tell us the rest of that story. <laughs> I didn't really get into this in the first podcast because I didn't feel that there was time, but it is it is an interesting story. Um yeah, I'm I was like the kind of person like I am not going to take it upon myself to tell this very weighty, very important story. It needs to be handled by an expert, you know. And so I kind of sloughed the idea off even though Bashar had mentioned it to me, but it sort of remained there in the back of my mind. But after my first year of living in Bethlehem and volunteering at the college, I was very burned out. It was tough. Mm-hmm. And I began to reconsider whether I wanted to go back to Palestine. And so I actually accepted a job in Turkey and I was going to like, all right, that was interesting. I I see what's going on over there now. I really don't want to live in that anymore. It's just too painful and harsh and dysfunctional. Turkey seemed like just a really nice alternative. And I was going to teach at this little school in Smyrna, Izmir. Yes. And uh, I verbally accepted this job. And right after that, I went up to Alaska with my sister and we were way out in the boondocks of Alaska. So I had not officially accepted the job because I needed to download and sign and scan my my commitment and then send that back to them. And there was nowhere to do that where we were. It was a little town like five miles away, but you had to walk to get there. Um, we were without a car for like the first week. There was no Wi-Fi. There was no running water. I mean, it was like very, very rural. Living Isolated. Little- living in this little half-built cabin that my sister's husband was building. And so we get out there and I get all settled in. And then I settle into this week of sleepless nights. And the first night I'd go, I'm so glad I'm going to Turkey. This is going to be great. Then the next night I would lay there going, what am I doing? I'm not done with Palestine yet. I I need to get back there. I'm, I need, I, my story there isn't done. Like I'm not finished with what I need to do. And then I think, oh, what do I do? And so I was going back and forth like this. And it was really driving me bonkers in a way. Like the the indecision of it was almost like just giving me this headache. And I was almost starting to feel like oppressed by it, you know. And then lo and behold, one day a text um, via internet, via messenger, pops through from a friend of mine who was over in Bethlehem at the time. And she's also friends, mutual friends with Bashara. And this text said, Mercy, I'm hanging out with Bashara right now. And he keeps talking about 
how he wants to, he needs to tell his story and he's looking for somebody to help him write it. And every time he brings it up, I keep thinking of you. Have you Mm -hmm. ever thought of doing something like this? Isn't that interesting, right? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Lord, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like I just stared at the text, like literally not one other Wi-Fi thing, not one other email downloaded the whole time. That one thing somehow slipped through the interwebs <laughs> and made it. And so it was such a profound thing that it happened and the content of it that I was like, okay, I know what I'm doing. I'm not going to Turkey. I'm going to go back to Palestine and I'm going to tell this story. But I still felt very intimidated mm-hmm. um, with the prospect because I'd never written a book before. I love to write, but I always thought I'd write a book, but I'd never had actually done it. And I was like, Lord, if you're really calling me to this, you've got to help me. I know you're calling me to this. I really believe it because of what I just experienced, but I need help. You know, it's still very overwhelming as I was beginning to gather information and like try to figure out how far do I go back? Where do I start in the story? You know, I mean, the story of Bashar's grandparents living in Jerusalem, you know, at the turn of the century and through the First World War, like all of this stuff was really, there was just so much interesting content that I was uncovering and I just didn't know how to begin or where. And um, I was, so I was in Bethlehem beginning to do the work on it and I post and share a lot on social media about my experience. So I shared something about what was going on in Bethlehem and somebody commented on my post I think I'd shared a little story about somebody that I met and somebody commented on my post and said, have you ever read the book Blood Brothers by Elias Shakur? And I was thinking to myself, oh gosh, these newbies who just show up on my, like, they don't know, of course, that book, like that book, I recommend to everybody. I'll recommend it right now on your uh, show, Blood Brothers by Elias Shakur. It's a life-changing book for many people. Sure. For sure it is. Um, It was for me. It was the first thing that I read that actually introduced me to the fact that there were Palestinian Christians and that there was dignity and beauty and grace and culture and history Mm -hmm. that was gorgeous from Christians who had been living in the Holy Land since the time of Christ. Imagine that. Like, how shocking (laughs) was that? (laughs) Uh, And so I wrote the person back and said, yes, yes, I love that book. I always recommend it to everybody. and, the, and then he wrote back and said, good, because I, I helped Elia Shakur write that book. And I went, what? <laughs> and then I realized the name of the person who was writing me was Dave Hazard. He's a well-known, um, he does ghostwriting and he helps people write their stories. And this this was kind of, I think, his first major book that he did with Elias Shakur. And I thought, Lord, you have got to be kidding me because... I had actually thought to myself, if only I could talk to someone like Dave Hazard and get some pointers. <laughs> I can make that happen. He just fell right into my lap. You know what I mean? And so Dave actually gave me like a little crash course on how to write somebody's story, like how to do a, a true story, but in kind of a fiction way. And he he just so graciously added a lot of input and really helped me uh, envision how I could do it. And so when that happened, I knew for sure, like, okay, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. And it wasn't about me. And yes, it's about Bashar, but it's even more than that. It's about a whole story of a whole people that Mm -hmm. I believe the Lord is very passionate 
um, that this story goes out, especially in times like these, that the world needs to know that there's more to what they've been hearing about the Holy Land than the very kind of simplistic narratives I think that most of us have embraced until now. Absolutely. And we're so quick to, we just see one, or we listen to one side of a story. And then you start, like, I started realizing when I traveled over there, like, it was incomplete, right? Yes. And how do I see all people? And how do I honor all people? Yes. And and listen to the stories, right. you know, of both, realizing there's yes. a difference. Yes. But how do I honor their stories, right. right? Not automatically go, one is right and one is wrong. Right. But could be right. a, these are their stories, right? And how do we honor them and lift them up and, and see the beauty in those stories? Um I, you know, the story of Bashara and his family, as you've, as you were researching and talking to Bashara and talking to extended family members, what were some things that were kind of emerging, bubbling up that you're like, this is really fascinating and that was impacting you? Hmm. Well, one thing that I found very, very interesting was the role of outside Christian influences and the role that we've played in the life of, I'll just say the Christian community, even though it's much broader, it's the lives of the Jewish and the Muslim community as well. But missionaries, um, people, people for good and ill, people all with probably good intentions, some of them producing some very good fruit, others, some stuff that looks a little bit dubious in retrospect mm-hmm. and how... <laughs> Just the outsized role, I think, that Westerners were playing and are continuing to play in the lives of these Palestinian Christians. So there were missionaries who played a tremendous role, like in Bashar's mother, Huda, in her life when she was young. Like they really helped her grow in the Lord and develop a very, very strong, deep faith. And her brother, George Kutab, who became a pastor um, with several different denominations, Church of God and Nazarene. Um, and, and then there were also some very disturbing stories, like um, one time Bashara was at this prayer meeting with an, a well-known minister, a woman who had been helping to support the Bible college financially. And they were at this meeting and she started wanting to do a fundraiser, raising money to buy a tank for the IDF. And this is going on like while Bashar is sitting there in the room and they're like playing, you know, worshipful music and she, who will give $10,000 to stand with Israel right now and buy a tank. And Bashara is sitting there as a Palestinian going, I know what these tanks do and how my, my people experience them. And so it was this real moment of reckoning for Bashara. Are you... Are you, how are you going to respond to this? You know, so they went out to dinner afterwards and she asked him, Bashar, do you believe um, that this land is given, you know, just for the Jews? And he, he said, no, I think I'm born here. I have a right to live here too. And she said, okay, well, we're not going to support the Bible college anymore. And he said, that's fine. And so, you know, moments Moments like that where sort of the mirror was held up to me and I'm looking at my culture and I'm looking at um, things that I can feel proud of as a Western Christian and things that kind of gave me a little, a lot of a cringeworthy feeling. Um, 
And so I felt that that was another very interesting aspect of the story just for Western Christians to sort of see how a lot of the positions that we take, how they actually impact people on the ground in ways um, for good and bad that we may not be aware of. I think that's such a a profound um, point you make. Um, Our words do matter and how we use our words, right? And that so many times we're using words without really being educated. Yes. Whole story. And and really what we're doing is we're saying our opinions. Yes. Our opinions can be hurtful. Yes, yes. And and aside from the story of the tank, like that would be probably the the larger point is that a lot of Palestinian Christians, it's a very deep wound for them, because the global body of Christ is so often going on about supporting one side. And, you know, I will say I'm very thankful that people want to support Jewish people and they want their safety. Like I have, I'm glad about that, that needed to be done. Let's be very clear, you know, after what the Jewish people lived under Christian governments for millennia in Christian Europe and right. how they suffered. Um, but to do that at the expense of Palestinian Christians and ignoring them, marginalizing them, disinviting them as though they're not even there, as though not honoring them as I, I when I look at Palestinian Christians and Middle Eastern Christians in general now, my view is very much changed because I'm, I realize that these are the people who are descended from the very first Christians. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole, most of the Middle East was mostly Christian for the first 500 years of Christianity. This was the heart of Christianity. And these are people, the Christians there today are descended from people who have stayed true to the gospel through Mm -hmm. all of the upheavals of the last 2000 years. And they're descended from the early church and they should be honored. They should have a seat of honor at the table. We should be approaching them with humility. And instead, we don't even want to hear them. They're being pushed aside. And I find this a very grievous sin. When we talk about the unity of the body of Christ, you know, how will they know that Jesus Christ is Messiah and Lord. It is through the love that we have for one another. And when there are such deep schisms in the body as this, I'm thinking to myself, a lot of these things that people are hoping to see happen prophetically, you know, using Israel as some sort of time clock, I'm thinking, guys, we still have so far to go. We have a long way to go because there is a whole side of the body of Christ that is bleeding and wounded partially because of our actions and under our indifference. And we have, we, this is a sin that has got to be repented of. And we have got to start interacting differently with our brothers and sisters in Christ, who we have a lot to learn from in -hmm. terms of peacemaking and in terms of living the gospel. um, As I was saying, and I think the first podcast, but from the underside of power, from, from, as the early church did, they're Mm -hmm. kind of the inheritors of holding a non-empire, non-Constantinian sort of paradigm of Christianity. And I think it's desperate. We're in desperate times. We need to learn from them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we need to listen. Yes. And then we need to, to lean in with curiosity and learn. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, even no matter what the situation is, you know, especially over there in the Middle East right now, but other places in the world, when you see 
things happening and stop and ask, why is this happening? What is the root cause of a lot of this? What is the history behind this? And really um, begin to educate ourselves. Yes. And, and I love how you said with your story, asking questions. Yes. And those questions lead you into other questions and to um, more c- completing the picture more. Yes. Right? And, and, and your information. And again, I just uh, thank you for, for being curious, for leaning into when you're telling your story of how you're like, and then I went to Alaska and then I wanted to go to Turkey. I just kept thinking about Jonah. <laughs> it's like, Mercy's on the run. (laughs) Anywhere but there, Lord, anywhere but there. Right. Right. And I love that God's like, oh no, I've got you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to come in different ways, right? I'm going to have this little tiny window when it's improbable to send you a a Wi-Fi message. I love how God pursues us and he allows us to join him and doing amazing things and loving people. Yes. And that's what you do. You love people. And we both do. We just, we believe that there's a better way to live. Amen. And we've learned this from Bashara, from his mother, from his family, from his siblings, his children, grandchildren. Um, and we can learn so much, right? Yes. Like there's a better way to live. There's a better way to show up in this world. Yes. And hatred and violence and division do not have to f- define us as human beings. Yes. And God created us with that divine DNA, his yes. fingerprints on us. So how do we show up with that? Realizing who we really are. And that's where identity plays a big picture. Okay. Just one quick sentence. What do you want to leave our listeners? How do they find your book? Find mm-hmm. out about you. Easiest place to find it is amazon.com. Um, yet in the dark streets shining. Um, would love for you to learn a little bit more about this family. I believe you'd be blessed and challenged and encouraged by the working of the Lord in their life. Um, any other thought about all this chaos? What just popped into my mind is something from St. Francis, walk this earth as the pardon of God. Mm. And we can begin to do that and really live into our calling as people who are filled with the spirit of Jesus Christ. In unity, we can change this world. Amen. I love that so much. As always, thanks for being a part of this podcast and the Amplify Peace community. For more information on living as a peacemaker in today's world, connect with us at AmplifyPeace.com and you can follow us on all social media. Shalom. This program was sponsored by Amplified Peace. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.